Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Series 3, Episode 3 of All Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. Each week we lie along a guest to chat about their experiences and memories of the group. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects, but we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube, where you can search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe, so you'll never miss an episode. This week we're joined by keyboard legend Marcia Schofield, who was a member of the fall alongside Steve during what was unarguably one of the group's most successful and artistically satisfying periods. We also discuss her fascinating and even more successful post-fall career. Hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Old Brother with me, Paul Hanley, and my esteemed brother, Mr. Stephen Hanley. Evening, Hello. Steve. Hello. Hello again. Hello again. Yes, indeed. <laughs> they don't spot the sun, shine daylight on the magic. We do, we do one of these every two weeks, isn't we know. It's <laughs> real again. time. <laughs> so, delighted to introduce uh, somebody today. Um, the second person who's trod the boards with Steve on the West End stage, where we had James Brown uh, last week. Um, oh, yeah. Now we've got, uh, I must get this right, I must get this, Dr. Marcia Schofield, MSC in pain management, MA, MB, B Chur. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's fantastic. Good evening, Marcia. How are you? Good evening. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm just recovering from the day. Yeah, yes, I'm sure you are. <laughs> I mean, how... On a scale of one to ten, how stressful are your days these days? Well, I, I think if it's if uh, ten is being on tour in Australia with Mark Smith and, <laughs> and one <laughs> and one is kind of you know all being on holiday, then we're somewhere around a seven to eight today. But well, it's, getting it's getting better. It's getting better. It's good to you be know, home. Yes, yeah, you know about one of them, Steve. You don't know about the other, really, do you? No. <laughs> Holiday. We'll have to get that? into that because we've we've, we've we've had Martin on and we've had uh, Simon on and Steve, obviously, and pretty much they can't really agree on anything other than they were were probably wearing trousers for some of the days they were away. About that's about all the thing they can all agree on. I They've think got, we we got to the get we got to it in the end, didn't we? I think we did. I think we did. But we'll go to. We'll come to that. Uh, let's 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 go a bit further back. So, I was reading. So the thing I remember, you were in. Um, 
Khmer Rouge, is that, that's right, isn't it? Before yeah, that's you correct. were in the fall. Yes, that's right. Who supported yeah. the fall a couple of times, I think. Is that right? That's right. And we even got to see the wonderful version of the band with you and Carl as the dual drummers. <laughs> oh, no, you can stay. That's all right. Yeah, you've, passed, you've passed the audition. Well, that was that. <laughs> was, that, was that be 83, would it? Oh, might have been 84, I think. I can remember sort of going and seeing quite a few shows around that time with you guys. And it was the sort of era of two by four in LA and those kinds of songs. Right. So you didn't, you didn't know Bricks then, or did you? No, I met Bricks in New York before I moved here. So I actually knew Bricks before she got with Mark because our drummer, Klaus, they were at school together in Bennington. Klaus, the artist. Yeah. Klaus, who did the album covers. Yeah. Yeah, Klaus Kastenskjöld. Yeah, he's strangely enough, Klaus Kastenskjöld is now a pharmacist in Los Angeles. Good God, what are they putting in the water? You know, they were too <laughs> clever. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. Someone should write, someone could write a song about that. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say you know, do what you know. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how did you come to join then? So that will be when Simon left. Was it Simon Rogers? I remember having a conversation with Simon Rogers outside a gig in Brighton, I think it was, and he said that Lucy was having a baby and he needed a break so he right. could stay home and support Lucy. And um, he said, I'm leaving the band and I think you should take my place. But he didn't say he was leaving forever. He made it sound like it was just a kind of paternity leave situation. And I thought, well, I can handle that. You know, it's not too much. Um, <laughs> talk about like out of one situation into another. So that was kind of my audition. <laughs> and then Mark right. said, oh, yeah, well, we've got this gig in Ipswich. And the next thing I knew, there was a packet of vinyl that arrived. And it was sort of learn all of these songs. And it was every fall album that had ever been made. And I thought, <laughs> none, none of which they were playing live at the time. None of them no. were in the set, probably. No. Yeah. And even if they were playing it live, it didn't sound anything like it did on the record. So here was me <laughs> trying to learn sort of, you know, 120 songs, thinking I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to get this. And then I said, um, are we going to have any rehearsals before my first gig? And he went, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. Just turn up. <laughs> so no I think rehearsals? First... We didn't have any rehearsals? No rehearsals, no. I think I just turned up a sound check in Ipswich. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think Shane McGowan was... Were you guys playing with the Pogues that night? I think maybe Shane McGowan was lying on the floor of a shower having a cold water poured onto him or something. Mm-hmm. Um, must, must have been something he ate. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, did you have a rehearsal, Steve? Because I never had a rehearsal before I joined. So did you, Steve? I did, yeah. I had a few, yeah. It was when we were in the Davidson's, I don't know, you know near the boardwalk there. We were right, a few. There. Good God. But, yeah, we had a few. Right. Because yeah, there's, a, there's a difference of opinion between Martin and Craig, whether Martin taught Craig some of his songs. Martin says he did, Craig says he didn't. So uh, me and Steve are very much sitting on the fence of that one. But, I mean, I wasn't then. I was only, I was only a young child at the time. But that's, you don't know, you don't know uh, properly, do you, Steve, either? No, I don't know. Right. Lost okay. in the mists of time, I yes. think. Yes, well, there's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that lost <laughs> in the mists of time. Um, so then what was the first album you played on then, Marsha? 
So I think it was probably Friends Experiment because I think This Nations had just come out right. and we, they, that tour was supporting This Nations. And then we sort of went straight from that tour into the Abbey Road to start doing Friends. And I think Simon was producing Friends. Is that right, Steve? He was, yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. So we were in Studio Two at Abbey Road, which was just, you know, extraordinary for me. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, you know, it's a legendary place. And um yeah, I do think we'll we'll get picked up here though. I'd want there another album, but Ben Sinister in between that. That was before, oh, that was yes. before Marsha, Ben Sinister. Yes, but it was, it was after this nation saving grace. Oh, it so was. You, yes, you're right. Yeah, but you still want people, people you know. Right. Oh, yes, of course, because there's those people out there who who still come up to me. 30 some odd years later and correct me about stuff. So <laughs> yeah. it obviously means a lot to it some does, people. Does it? it does. It's amazing. There's yeah, a massive I, argument going on about which was the first fall gig because Martin remembered it one way and then this some woman got on and said, no, that's not happened that way. And this, there's a right to and fro out which was the fall, first fall gig because there's a, a recording surfaced uh, and, it, and it's got keyboards on it. And apparently gosh. Una wasn't, didn't have a keyboard for the sound. So, there's, there's, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. The amount of column inches that have been spent deciding which was the first fall gig. One of the things I've realized now that I'm a doctor is that some people become very um, married to their version of reality. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think sometimes it's just best not to argue. Yes. <laughs> so, but you're absolutely right. I think it was, yeah, it was Ben Sinister. Now, I can't, it must have been Ben Sinister that we were touring then. I should probably bring up the track listing and then I could probably tell yeah. you. I mean, to be fair, you were probably touring the, the Friends, weren't you? Most of the songs were the new we, ones, I would have thought. I think most of Friends, now Steve can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my recollection, most of Friends was pretty much written in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think by the time I joined the band, it was unusual for stuff to... Well, I, that's not true because I'm pretty sure that all of Curious Orange was pretty much written in soundcheck <laughs> before we ever did the ballet. <laughs> I mean, but, that's, that's the traditional way you, you compose for a ballet, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> make, make it up as you go on. <laughs> and then the dancers just have to keep up. They, they, you know, I think they're a bit sort of, you know, particular about having yeah. things the same way every night. You They're know? very precious about that kind of thing. Yeah, a bit you? spoiled, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'd love to get into we'll also talk about that Bible, but we can't miss out, of course. We yes. cannot miss out the greatest production to ever hit the stage. Are you uh, talking about Halo Gianni? Halo yes. Oh, yes. Well, see, I found joining the fall quite interesting because first of all, I was I turned up to do my first gig with no rehearsal. And then we were kind of straight into Halo Gianni, which was sort of like I mean, it was sort of like a Christmas play. It was almost like the Falls version of the Nativity. No, I'm just talking about the fact that it's like, let's get all your mates and put them together and dress them in outfits and sort of, you know, put on a show. <laughs> you had quite not, a big role though, didn't you? Um, I did, yeah. I played an Israeli commando and I played a go-go dancer at a uh, office party in hell. And um, yeah, the... the uh, Commando bit was um was quite funny. That was Half Found Borman, was that? It the... was Half Found Borman, and Mark insisted that we play that every single show on that tour after Hey Luciani, which was um he knew I hated it. So <laughs> every night I had to sit I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so did he did he insist on it 
Because you hated it or yeah. despite the fact you hated it? No, it would be 100% because I hated it. Because every time I was like, do we have to? He'd be like, oh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I get to mess about on your keyboard. <laughs> have a bit of a rest. Ah, right. Okay, I see. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, the other thing I was going to ask about, the other, I'm just reading an interview with you, and you you talk about an album that you think is the worst piece of shit I have ever worked on. Oh, <laughs> yes. Seminal Live. Yes, that's the one. All right. So what's, what's up with it? I think it was a combination. It felt like one of those albums that you hand in because you have to, as opposed to because you want to. Right, and okay. I think yeah. we'd been on tour in America, and I think we only had two CDs that tour one of them was um the four seasons thank you valley and the four seasons and the other one was a sort of collection of truck driving songs <laughs> yes we're I talking think- about this isn't it? i thought you were going to say vivaldi then when you said the no, four no, seasons no 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 the, the, f- <laughs> the other four seasons <laughs> the one that doesn't involve violins yes or, or pizza exactly <laughs> So, so yeah, yeah he, we, someone was asking about. Oh, it was James Brown was asking about what music do you listen? To, did you listen to in the val, in the bus or whatever? And I the, said the truck driving thing. It the was truck very driving, limited, yeah, yeah, and you, and it was basically like Mark decided, so nobody else got a say. And the more he realised that someone didn't like something, the more that he would put it on. So, <laughs> so see, I guess, that's where you went wrong. You should have said you loved it. I found yeah. one. <laughs> Never, never have been played never again. Played it again, yeah. To this day, if I hear Don go away, you're no good for me. I get PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! But I mean, that, I mean, you can laugh about it being a, a school play. But the four, I think the band then between that play and then the ballet was that was kind of the height of the. I don't want to say slick, but certainly yeah. production values were higher then than they were ever before or since. I think, weren't they? I think we just really gelled together. I mean, Steve was Steve was there too, but it was it was like something sort of almost supernatural ha- kind of happened when we were all together. Um, it was an amazing rhythm section, and when you've got a great rhythm section, great guitarists, like everything just flies. You know, it it was we just locked together. We were on the same wavelength, and I think the other thing that was really useful is that we all kind of liked the same sorts of music. So you know, we all listen to a bit of soul. We all listen to a bit of Frank Zappa. We all used to kind of, you know, dance to, you know, Reverend Al Green or something, you know, like we just kind of liked the same stuff. And so that made it really easy to play with together. So I think, and out of that, like came just this kind of thunderous sound that came from all of us just locking together on stage. It was really some of the most amazing gigs I've ever played in my life was that version of the fall. It was really good fun. Well, Steve, you always say that, don't you, about the, the time of the ballet was the best? Yeah, around that time, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, so, some taken, by the way, but, uh, you know, I'll let yeah. it go. <laughs> Plus, and, and we also had some absolutely wacky experiences. I mean, we were on tour a lot during that period. Yeah, yeah, well, like, that, yeah there's, there's a difference, isn't there? Yeah. If you're out all the time, you're bound to get a sort of... Yeah. Well, I play- or half the band leaves, one of the two. I don't well- want to be professional. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you just, I think you just get tight. You sort of get this yeah. telepathy working about what yeah. works on stage, you know, and, and there were, there were sort of nights that Bremen knocked went on for about 12 minutes or something, you know, like. Just- <laughs> oh man. Was it a difficult one to That used to hurt my fingers, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> we just keep I, I, I believe, I believe uh, coal miners have it difficult yeah, as well, I know, Steve. I know, I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, you haven't you haven't known pain until you've tried to play bass for Bremen Knock for 12, yeah, 12 minutes. 12 minutes, I tell you. <laughs> the Burma Railroad is walking the park and playing that for 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what they're complaining about. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your memories of the, of the ballet then? Because um, I never saw the ballet. And I get from what I hear, it was well, – yeah. and we were talking about this. This is well, the fact that there's no film of it is bizarre. No, it's it? a shame. I mean, it was it was sort of summed up by the phrase, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, I think. Okay. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, it was, it was actually such an amazing, I mean, I, I don't know how everyone else on the band saw it. I just found it like, it was both incredibly difficult because having to play the same songs the same way every night because of their poxy choreography. And also, you know, having... No, no it one, was a ballet, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're so precious about it anyway <laughs> and then having that stupid little do you remember steve i had that little counter on top of my yes. keyboards yeah. and i used to have to literally count how many times a riff repeated and then tell everybody to change and then i got accused of being like a dictator because i was telling everyone what to do <laughs> but essentially i'd have Mark, mike's i had uh, michael clark crying in the dressing room just going please please we just need it to be the same and then i had to learn all of these versions of the songs that he choreographed to were basically us jam and soundcheck like we didn't even have the song together it was just kind of early versions well, we of were a, we were kind of we were writing them on tour yeah. in america and sending yeah. him back cassettes weren't we I, I mean i didn't know that mark was actually sending him cassettes of anything so when i heard the songs i was like well it's actually evolved a lot since then and he's like well yeah. well yeah but i've done all this choreography so i can't like redo the choreography just like that so yeah, it was interesting. So having to relearn those versions of the songs and then kind of trying to... Right. So, so yeah. you wrote a rough version of it. Yeah. Shanting yeah. that, which he yeah. then went away and came back for. Meanwhile, you all learned like the song properly. Yeah. Yeah. Came back and he said, can you forget all that and go back to when you were just messing about in the soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. that's his, oh, exactly. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, we have these kind of slightly disorganized, mad versions of the songs that we're trying to destroy. But yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> um, it is a real but, shame that there's no recording of it, though, isn't it? I mean, it was, I think, personally, I don't know how the rest of the guys feel, but like, I felt that the ones in Amsterdam were almost like slightly weirdly better than the ones that came after. Because we were just, it was like so rough and raw, but it was actually like, fresher and had more energy and then by the time we sort of got to Sadler's Wells it was just like oh god this again because it's really hard when you're used to being able to be a bit free with your music and changing the set list and changing the versions every night and you literally have to do exactly the same thing night after night after night after night like it does get to the point where you're kind of like, you know pretty much like most other bands though really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but the whole's not like that no, <laughs> no. I mean that's what's interesting well, that's what's nice right, about being in the fall. That's what bands are like, isn't it? That's, you know, if you've yeah. got a band that's on a world tour, it must be like yeah. that. Just, just yeah, to play the songs. Yeah, the lights up, everything up to... And like now more than ever, because half the stuff's on, you know, computer and it's a backing track. And if you don't play it exactly the same way every night, like it screws up the backing track. So, you know, you have to do it the same way. But yeah. I mean, it was almost like, I mean, I hesitate to say this because it sounds really wanky. But can I say wanky on a podcast? <laughs> you can say what you like. Okay. <laughs> but um, it was almost kind of slightly more jazz-like that you could just sort of improvise. And- oh, sorry. You can say oh. any word you want except for that. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um 
it was very uh, improvisational, shall we say? We'll 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 forget the J word. Yeah, yeah. But and it did well, I mean, feel really, you know, like if you were in the mood, you could just do something different with a song that night. And and the great thing was we were so used to playing with each other that somebody would go off on a tangent, like have an ex, like you know extended guitar solo, or whatever. The rest of us would just kind of fall in behind them, um, which was just fun and exciting because you just never knew what was going to happen. <laughs> you yeah. got on stage and you had a set list, but you never knew what was going to happen. <laughs> set list would be changed. The drum kit would be changed. Everything would be changed. The position of the microphone on your amp would be changed. Microphone would be changed. Sometimes guitars would be taken away from people. <laughs> I mean, you know. was, it, was, it, was he doing that then? Was he doing the onstage mixing when you were in the band? Oh, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of onstage um, remixing. <laughs> you, you, ne- you never cared for that, Steve, did you? I didn't. Oh, hey. Well, <laughs> why, why's that? Why you always see me stood in front of my amp? <laughs> yeah. if, it, if it hadn't have been for that, he'd have been up and down like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> Steve was basically body blocking Mark from getting to the controls. <laughs> Come any closer, and this headstock's going to have you. <laughs> you know. Well, we said why I didn't like it before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he did the same thing with my keyboards. I don't don't think it was about the sound myself. It it was a sort of little bit of control, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah. This is my stage and look at me and do what I want. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit territorial, but Um, I used to come, I know I used to come back to the keyboards and I never knew what he'd done. If he'd changed the settings or like complete or unplugged it. I mean, (laughs) anything could have happened. (laughs) (laughs) Unplugging it's a bit drastic. Oh no, he did that all the time. (laughs) Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Changed microphones, unplugged stuff, moved microphones. It was, yeah, it was always exciting. You never knew what was going to happen. No. So, but, I mean, you you were in the band for yep. the kind of, as well as that kind of um, artistic sort of peak, the commercial, they were, were bigger in terms of sales than at any other time as well, weren't they, while you were in the band, I think. If you're talking about, yeah. you know, Victoria and what have you. Yeah, it was sort of the falls. uh you know, rock star period, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I don't really know what to call it, but I think that, I think Beggar's Banquet had this idea that they were going to make us into a pop group or something. And we were flirting with major labels like, was mm-hmm. it Phonogram in the States mm. or something? And yeah, so they, they would sort of do things like dress us up and get makeup artists for me and Bricks and make us do photo shoots. It was all a bit artistic and a bit poppy. Did you yeah. like that? Because it must have been slightly different from the band when you joined. Were you, were you kind of... Um, well, I, I come out of like, I mean, my background is like New York, Lower East Side, you know, CBGB's Max's Kansas City punk rock. So I, I was a bit over it all, but um, I think Bricks quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> but, it, it was, I think it was, it was quite um, a good way of shaking it up because I mean, the fall could have just plodded along as that sort of under the radar kind of indie band, but I think it was a yeah. good thing for the band lasting 40 years that there was a period where they kind of had different goals if you think well i think it was sort of a good place where you know you've got a great band that can pretty much handle anything you throw at them you know so you take chances (laughs) please please. (laughs) don't get me started about the videos that's exactly what i want to do i want to get started about the videos (laughs) two words fat cook (laughs) 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 do you remember (laughs) you're gonna have to explain that Okay, so in the Victoria video, there was um, we we'd worked on this 
this video in this warehouse where they had just finished filming Little Dorrit for the BBC and there were all these Victorian costumes. So I think our director took it a bit literally that he she wanted us all in Victorian outfits. So at one point I was a boy stagehand with Steve and we were kind of like pulling some curtains at the Hackney Empire, which is great because every girl on the set thought I was gorgeous and flirted with me because I looked so much like a boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then um, we got to the the place where they were filming some sort of uh, celebration in a drawing room and I was supposed to be this fat cook who brought in a cake in the shape of the uh, Crystal Palace or something and then it went on fire in some sort of oh, like yeah. slightly um, intellectual homage to Victorian history or something. Okay. And um, they put me in this fat suit and it was so painful. It was like digging into my shoulders. And of course, then nobody spoke to me. because I, <laughs> I was like this <laughs> ugly fat person with like fake warts applied. And of course, Bricks was a beautiful princess, you know. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, so when they were hand- handing out the roles, who's going to play the boy pulling the, uh, st- the stage hand and who's going to play the fat cook? Yeah. And then they pull them out of a hat by any chance, <laughs> what were you, Steve? Third spear carrier. Again. I was a, the straight urchin, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. Yeah. You were. And then at the football game, I think yeah. you were waving a flag or something. It was yeah. all a bit. I mean, you look at it now, and it's actually a bit sort of. Ooh, is it slightly borderline racist? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> different times. Different times. I suppose so. In context. So, yeah. Was it a football match? Was this still the Victorian? Football match, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. big budget. Big budget. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a football ground, yeah, again. <laughs> again, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, the one thing you'd say about the one we filmed in a football ground, it was big budget was two words no. that didn't go along with that when we hired it. Oh, that was kicker, wasn't kicker, it? It was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that video. No budget, no budget I think. Was, uh, <laughs> I think I prefer that to Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's hard, though, isn't it? When you look like you're trying, you've got to, you've got to get it. If you look like you don't give a shite, then it, you can get away with it, can't you? If you yeah. look like you're trying to make it good, then it's got to be good. Well, there was a good, good, good quote, was pretty good, good quote from Craig about me and Simon when we were making that Victoria video, that you were more wooden than the scenery. <laughs> 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 That's unfair. I thought you were very animated in your in your street urchin top hat. <laughs> what, what was your motivation, Steve? What were you know? Were you that? <laughs> well, then, well, as you can imagine, making them videos, it's a long day. Very long. You miming. Yep. So you don't really have to do anything. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah. Drink, drink, drink was taken, was it? You could say that. (laughs) (laughs) But but, you you must have been fairly, um, you must have been fairly on it for the ballet, though. You must have at least while you were doing it. Actually, I find it difficult to um, to comprehend how disciplined you must the the fall must have been to do that because it's completely out of out of character, almost, isn't it? It Must have killed you by the end of it. We were on early. Yeah. <laughs> we were finished by nine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. On so, stage at seven, down the pub by nine thirty. Well, hey, it's perfect life, that. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but you know, you'd say that. Well, them dancers were, weren't they? They were a lot worse than us. Oh my God! Yes, they were yeah. just out all night. I mean, we thought we partied, but my God, those dancers—they oh. were hardcore. I mean, and they would be up at sort of six in the morning doing Pilates and stretching and doing dance classes, and then out all night. Jesus. I don't know how they managed it. Well, they're, they're all dead by the time they're thirty. That's how they managed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so hit the north. That was your other yeah. one. No, another yeah. one. 
That's yeah. another big video, isn't it? That one. That one's like spot the extra because there's lots of extras in that video. <laughs> is, Kid Con- is Kid Congo in that video? Yes, Kid yeah. Congo's in it. He's my flatmate and he came along with me at the time. And um, Mark said, oh, you can be in the video. Just bang these. And Kid said, well, what should I play? And there were these kind of wooden stage weight block things to stop things rolling around. And Mark just picked them up and gave them to Kid and said, play those. <laughs> oh, okay. Was he in the gun club then? Sorry? Was he yeah. in the gun club then? Yeah. I think he might have, or he, he was in the gun club or he might have just joined the Bad Seeds. I mean, it was pretty early in his Bad Seeds thing. So right. he might have still been playing with Jeffrey at that point. Right. Did you know but, Jeffrey Leapers at all? Yeah. Is yeah, it? really well. Yeah. I mean, we all, we were all in London around the same time. So yeah. there was lots of us who knew each other, you know, the, and I'd actually met the Bad Seeds in New York in 81. So we, I, I knew their sound person quite well. Uh, she was their tour manager and sound person. And um, Kid just turned up at my front door one day and said, Richard Thomas said I could live with you. Oh, that was good to him. <laughs> <laughs> and they I was like, great, oh, okay. what a great band they were. They were amazing. Yeah, Actually, yeah. brilliant live. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely I mean, I don't know. It gets a bit of bad press. Well, I don't know if it's deserved bad press or not, but he was, he was a bit of a strange guy, was he? Jeffrey Lee Pierce? No, I think he was just, you know, he was a lovely guy, but he just, he drank a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the undoing of him, but no, he was a lovely chap. Really lovely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really nice. And just to kind of, I suppose it just depended if you were sort of a fan and you caught him at a bad time, he probably could be a bit vicious. But then I, I think that's true of most people who are famous. Like if you catch them at a bad time and you're a fan, they can sometimes see a bit, a bit offish. Yeah. But if you just knew him like socially as a mate, it was, yeah, he was lovely. Right. Lovely okay. Because yeah. he's got a book out, hasn't he, Kid Congo? I'd like to read that. That should be Yes. Good. Yes. I've, I was privileged enough to read some early drafts of it. And it, he's a great writer. And he's just got such a way with telling a story. Like you can actually hear his voice coming right. through. He's got this wonderful kind of, Steve will remember, he's got this really like laid back California yeah. way of talking about stuff. And then he'll just like <laughs> stick in some really biting comment and you'll just be like, oh my God, it's stealth. <laughs> it's like stealth comedy. <laughs> uh, that's on my Christmas list. I have to get that because so, he, he was in the Gun Club, the Bad Seeds, and the Cramps, yep. which is just yep. yeah, yep. come on, three of the best bands of all time. I yeah, think. and he couldn't even play the guitar when he joined oh, the Cramps. No. They were they were just like you. <laughs> and um, Ivy gave him his name because really? Ivy had this. Yeah, well, she had this candle that was like the candle was called something like Congo Powers. And she's like, that's you, your kid, Congo Powers. And he was like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, you didn't that, say no yeah. to Ivy. <laughs> no, you will not. No. So you, you, the, when, the first, when I joined the fall, there was the yeah. end of the tour that they'd done with the cramps. Oh, right. I, mean, I, was, wow. I, was, well, I was petrified of everybody at that gig because they, <laughs> they, they were quite Particularly. They were, for, they were forced to be reckoned with, weren't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. So did you know the cramps then? I'd met them. Um, they spent some time going back and forth to New York. They, there was some people that I knew in New York who were in a band called Tina Peel, and they were also from Harrisburg, which is, I think, where uh, Lux and Ivy were vaguely. They'd spent some time in Harrisburg, and they used to come and stay at their flat. So, they, they, you know, there, it wasn't a huge scene in New York in those days. So pretty much anybody who was in New York and was a musician, like we all knew each other. Right. So, And you all ended up in London. 
Exactly. A lot of us ended up in London, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it's a, the old, like the birthday party. Yeah. Everybody in there, what was the other Australian band? Um, I can't think of the name, Mark. We'll Crime, in the city, Crime in the City yes. Solution. They, yeah. Everybody ended up in London at that time, yeah. didn't it? It was quite the place yeah. to be, I think. Yeah. And uh, all the kind of people around those people, like the filmmakers and the photographers and all the people that they all went to school together. <laughs> like, right. they, imagine spending the, your entire life, and some of them, like, I mean, I still know. Uh, John Helcott and Polly Boylan quite well. And they're, you know, imagine being in your 60s and like your best mates are still your best mates from A-levels. <laughs> yeah. Well. So they've stayed, they've stayed friends like their whole lives. That's just pretty- Steve, Mark and Craig have known each yeah, other since the same, yeah. 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 See, I, I have, the only person I know from my childhood is my best friend, Josh, who played keyboards in Typo Negative. <laughs> okay. It's all, there's, a, there's a medical theme running through all of this, isn't there? <laughs> well, Josh is now a fire department paramedic in New York City, so yeah, there is a medical is, theme. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> we did go into it, Paul. So, what, medicine? You must be yeah. <laughs> trust Anybody's trust the health to me or you? No. <laughs> so we'll leave Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Forward of here because um, we've got to do the tour, the yep. Australian tour, from yep. your point of view. Do we have to? Yes, we do. We do have to. I'm going to rehash that again. I think, yeah, I think we've, done, we've done pretty much everyone now, haven't we? I think that's well, – yeah, we've talked about it with Craig. We've talked about it with yeah. Simon and Martin. Yeah. Yeah. So from your – what happened then? So you and Martin were kind of <laughs> a team, shall we say, at that point. Like, put Martin's sure. arms out of joint, was that right? So we just wind it back to sort of when we were making um well, extra cake. Well, not joined yet, has he? No. Hang on, no. we've got to get him in the band before we kick him out. Hang on. <laughs> so we were, I mean, if we wind it back to extricate, I think that's when things started to fall apart because we were out in that residential studio. Do you remember that, Steve? Yeah, but I mean, I know what you said. I remember the extricate, like, yeah. to- the tour of that album yeah. being particularly good. For some reason. Yeah. Well, it was so powerful because yeah. although we'd lost bricks, Martin was like, you know, a f- mm. ferocious fiend on guitars. So, you know, it was it was really it was the proper uh, mighty fall at that stage. You and know? we were all kind of behaving, and I don't yeah. know. It seemed like the stakes were higher. We we're on a yeah. on a major label, and we'd just written. I mean, pretty much a killer album, in my opinion. I mean, I love Dexter yeah. I love the songs on it. And I mean, it was just really killer. And I mean, it was sort of like the fall that I loved going back to the two drummers when you guys were just like this force of nature coming off the stage. It was just incredible, the power, you know? And um, 
I thought, oh God, we're getting back to that. This is really exciting. I can't wait to see what we do next. And what we did next was fall apart. <laughs> always away. Always away. <laughs> so of we course, because like, Carl had come back as well, hadn't he, by that stage? Carl was... No, no. No, we hadn't come back no, by then. No, we were still but Martin and Carl were never, we were never in the band at the same time again, no. were they? No. no, I don't think so. Because they'd, they'd been in Thirst together, but then Martin yeah. came back and joined the fall. So yeah. I don't, Carl wasn't in the band, yeah. the, the version that Martin and I were in. It must have been a bit weird for Martin coming back because he was his position was kind of... Because he was like as much of the band as Mark the first time around, wasn't he? So it must have been a bit difficult to deal with, I would have thought. I think it was... I mean, I feel like, you know, from what Martin has told me, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for him, but at the no, time no. he was saying... Um, it was the best band he'd ever been in. He really loved it. He loved Mark. He loved Stephen Craig. He thought they were brilliant songwriters. You know, he he really loved the band. For him, it felt like coming home, you know? So I think that leaving the band was so hard for him, like way harder than it was for me, you know, because he had so much, like it really felt like a homecoming for him. Yeah. And like he was back where he wanted to be and he was starting to do some really good work and it was like yeah. he had so much more to do and then it was like he couldn't do it anymore because he was out of the band so mm-hmm. i mean i you know i still don't understand the dynamics from my perspective i understand it perfectly like mark had broken up with bricks i reminded him of bricks or something and like he just didn't like having me around without bricks or something i don't know i mean i don't really know but he he started really having a go like there was always somebody who was a punching bag and mm-hmm. like i you know he and i just we did not see eye to eye on anything and it just became like one row after another i'm quitting you're fired i'm quitting you're fired and it was always like trevor you know, the dastardly Trevor um, <laughs> coming back and going, oh, Mark doesn't really mean it. You know, he really likes you, really respects you. <laughs> Don't leave the band. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because you can see like, you know, it'll affect you in some way. This is not nothing to do with me and Mark, you know. Um, so I think I probably would have left the band before Australia, but because honestly, we fired, quit, fired, quit like about four or five times during that year before Australia. Um, and it was becoming like really tricky. And I, I knew that Martin really wanted to do it. And I was like, I, I, I'm done. Like, <laughs> did, you, really- did you pick up on that, Steve, then? Did you know that Marsha was so unhappy with it all? <laughs> I, mean, I do remember the rows between you and Mark. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you couldn't miss them, really. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, New York are I, loud voice. I mean, I, I have been through the same thing as you, as myself, a bit later on. That yeah, leaving, getting fired, leaving, getting fired. Yeah, so I do know what you mean. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think I remember you wanting to leave. I was really, I just felt really unhappy with Mm. just the state of it. Like, you know, I I was just like, what? I mean, I remember just saying to him one day, like, you've got the best band and the best album, arguably, in the Falls career right now. Like, why are you sabotaging this? Like, what are you doing? And he just absolutely unloaded with both barrels, you know, and just had such a go at me. And he was like, what are you? You No shit. No. He was just screaming and yelling and... And um, it was just, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I think there was just that bit of mark that, you know, if things were going well, he had to shake it up, you know, because yeah. he needed mm. something to fight against, you yeah. know. So like, He did exactly the same thing with Mark Riley, I think. That was the yeah. same kind of thing. We did X induction Hour 
which was yeah. like, oh, this is great, you know, and it, the reviews were just, like everyone was saying, the, the fall of this. And then, that, like you say, I think you felt the need to think, well, I'm, I'm going to have to fuck this up somehow. This is yeah. far too, I don't know, um, going far too well, I think. I mean, I just wonder whether he was, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to get inside his head because there was a lot of other stuff going on with him at that stage. But I feel like he's one of these people, like as an artist, he was, and he would never have called himself an artist because that was far too wanky. Like Mm -hmm. that would have been like, oh my God, you know, that's really middle-class to call yourself an artist. Like forget that. Um, But I think he was an artist. And I think that for him, he needed something to fight against. And if he was getting too comfortable, I think he felt like he would dry up. And yeah. so he needed that like constant change to give him some inspiration. So he needed conflict. He needed change. He needed to like, shame, really, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is because like well, you say that, but then yeah. would the band have lasted forty-one years if he hadn't? If he'd it just been everything in Unky mm. Dory, and I think you're great. You you think I'm great, and we're just going to make another album now. We're all comfortable. Could you have kept yeah. that dynamic going for forty-one years? I'm not sure well, you could. Life would have been a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he needed to make it quite so hard on himself. No. I mean, you know, he just, yeah, he like, I mean, do you know, that's uh, what I've all often thought is about getting a group of six people around the world playing gigs is pretty much enough in itself, isn't it? It's yeah. difficult enough in itself. Yeah. And doing an album a year and trying to keep the standard up it's that's enough without making it even more difficult and then you add to that like it's just relentless because you're constantly in jet lag in different time zones in different languages different food traveling exhausted your personal life's falling apart you know like you're having multiple relationships on the road and you know like all this kind of stuff that goes on when bands are on tour and I mean it's really hard to keep it together it's not really surprising that bands that tour a lot they just implode because it's a it's a lot yeah it's a lot of traveling and you remember it's exhausting you know I mean it's quite good fun for like an hour a day when you're on stage (laughs) and the rest of the time it's like finding a laundromat or like you know trying to remember where your passport is you know it's it's really it's not that easy like it seems yeah and sitting in airports drinking (laughs) (laughs) being in a band is that weird that sitting in an airport drinking is a bad thing everybody else is what they look forward to for a week every year yeah (laughs) but but you're doing it for 10 months a year you're not doing it for like you know oh this is my two weeks i get to go to tenerife or whatever you're like Mm -hmm. you're like literally that's your life you're having like your first you're having breakfast beers (laughs) for 10 months a year so and it's And in constant jet lag. But having said that, you know, it was, I mean, I wouldn't have traded it, but, you know, it, it, yeah. got, it got to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and also I wasn't that well, you know, so I, I sort of got diagnosed with Crohn's disease towards the end of my time in the fall. And there was times I had to go on stage on crutches and stuff. And, you know, I wasn't that well. No. So um, for me, it was getting harder and harder. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you know, I'd, I'm not going to be able to do this much longer, particularly with this level of like insanity. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I mean, it's you're a long way from home to be sat now, aren't you? Where you were? Where you were? Uh, <laughs> we did, yeah, that we was did, around that time. We did have that that trip to Brazil, didn't we? That was there. Uh, yeah, that was that was, that was super fun. Well, that was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> was, was that a tour or just like a festival? It was a festival. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was a festival. It was us, Philip Glass and Laurie Anderson. Yeah, it was bizarre. Three was... nights in three, three separate nights in a club. Wow. A big club. And it was just like the most extraordinary venue. It was like proper yeah. sort of um, like, I don't know, the equivalent of the Biennale or something. It was like super posh and everybody was like a cultural icon. And then there was us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all like on the beach in Copacabana drinking like caparinas and going, yeah. hey. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen pictures of Steve and he's a uh, tall black sitting on the beach. <laughs> the overcoat. He's yeah, overcoat. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm there in my bikini and everyone else is in like, you know, proper clothes sitting on Copacabana <laughs> Beach. Well, you see, I, I, you see pictures of uh, Pete Hook on stage now in short pants. So, yeah, I can't be doing with it. I mean, I know, I know, sitting on the beach in your in your canvas trousers is probably taking it too far the other way. But I don't, I don't like to see a band in short trousers. Goes against the grain <laughs> for me. It's just wrong, isn't it? It's not right. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and your surfers, then you can kind of get away with it. But yeah, I'd, I'd, Nobody... I'd like. I, I would like to say to him, for the love of God, put your shirt on. That's it. <laughs> Thinking pop as well. Good God, man! Will you put a shirt on? <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment on that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'd, what I'd like to know: How did you get from leaving the football, being fired from the fall, to becoming a, a doctor? How did that happen? That's yes, quite the journey, that isn't it? Well, it sort of started in Australia, really. Um, my friends from the birthday party circle um, said, oh, if you're in Melbourne, you need to look up these friends of ours from art school. So I was, you know, at that point, it was literally like anything to give me a bit of a break from the wonderful and frightening world of tour. Yeah. So I, I rang these girls and, and they, uh, they sort of said, oh, yeah, we're going to go out to the bush. So do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. So we went to Hanging Rock. And uh, we walked around in the bush and there was like kookaburras and it was all amazing. And they were like, you know, people with dyed hair and nose piercings and tattoos and stuff. And I was like, so what do you guys do? And they're like, we're doctors. And I was like, wait, get out. You mean you can be a doctor and look like you? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Huh? We, we like work in the trailer where we treat homeless people and people with AIDS and whatever. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> how cool yeah. is that? And I was kind of, before I was in the fall, I was really involved in the whole like gay men's health crisis, like the early ACT UP stuff in New York. And I had a lot of friends that were HIV positive and died of AIDS over the time that I was in the fall. And uh, I was always looking for sort of a way to, I don't know, give something back to that community, you know. And I had a really, really good friend in London who was diagnosed with HIV and he was just the most spiritual, lovely guy. I came back from Australia and I was like, yeah, I've just been fired from the band and I think I'm going to be a doctor. And he's like, yeah, we need a doctor in the family. We need one of us to be a doctor. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to... And then I thought, bloody hell, I don't know a thing about science. I'm actually really bad at it. Like I, like I, I was told in high school to never take up a job that had anything to do with science because I was literally shit at it. Well, as long as you, you, you got, got into one that had very low stakes, you know. Well, you know. It, it's a well. When I left the fall, I had like two different choices: is either like try and go get some other stupid job. So I think Tony Wilson put me up for some MTV remote control, like poncing about in a skirt at the back of you know on a keyboard while people did stupid things on a game show, or being in D Ream. Those are like my Hello. kind of. T- <laughs> 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian Cox Brian stole Cox. my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll never amount to anything in science, really. Brian Cox. No, exactly. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, either that or like work in Tesco or something. I mean, I had no qualifications. I dropped out of uni when I moved to England. So um, I had to go back to the beginning, and it's amazing how like thinking, okay, well, here's my life. I'm going to fall off a cliff and be like completely poor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or I can like go back to school and like try and make something of my life. And uh, I said so to Martin- How old were you at this time, if you don't mind me asking? I was, I was 28. I was yeah, 28. Wow. And, and Martin, I said to Martin, you know, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go be a doctor. And he's like, don't you have to like do A-levels for that? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. So I enrolled at Hackney College of Further Education on Dalston Lane and started doing my A-levels. And I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. I had to work so, so hard to get through them. And, uh, I, you know, I spent hours and hours because Martin and I were still in a relationship at that time. I was going up and down to Manchester on the train and I'd be there with my chemistry books trying to make sense of it all. And <laughs> it wow. was madness. And then I was really convinced I was going to fail my chemistry A-level. And then I was sitting, this is a great story. I was sitting in the park in Stoke Newington trying to make sense of organic chemistry, which absolutely made no sense to me whatsoever. And this old guy's like sitting next to me at another table, like looks sort of homeless looking weird guy, which is, you know, that was Stoke Newington in those days. And he goes, so, um, that organic chemistry. I'm like, (laughs) yes. And he goes, the thing is, it's all about the buffers. It's about controlling the pH. And I was, I looked at him and I'm like, do you know about chemistry? <laughs> Home, weird homeless person in <laughs> And he's like, uh, yeah, I used to teach chemistry. And I was like, oh, right. And he sat down and literally in two hours, he taught me the whole of organic chemistry, without which I would have definitely failed my chemistry. And it turned out, I said, well, I said to him, like, where did you teach chemistry? And he goes, in prison. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. I said, did you just go into prisons and teach people chemistry? He's like, no, I was in prison. Oh, <laughs> and right. then he said, and then he said, have you ever heard of Operation Julie? <laughs> and I was like, um, I think so. He ah, said, you yes. know, he said, you know, the LSD factory in Wales, the naked girl. And, and I was like, you know, that's ringing a bell now. It turned out he was one of the chemists in Operation Julie. Wow. Oh. So he was an been a physicist. Chemist. Now his name's on the mailbag list. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a question. Julie's been working for the drug squad. That's, that's it. <laughs> wow. So this is this. So I own my career as a doctor to an ex inmate who was involved in Operation that's Julie incredible. as a chemist. There you go. Little known yeah. fact. I mean, two minutes later, you could have been sat next to somebody who was eating his own face or something. Didn't you? <laughs> that, you got, that's that, was fi- that was the five minutes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, still, you still, so you you've struggled to get your A levels. Struggled and that, to get How do you then become a doctor then? Well, in those days, I was a really thick American and I thought there was only two universities in England. I thought there was only like Oxford and Cambridge. Cambridge. I thought they were like the only places that you could go to do medicine because, you know, what do I know? I'm like a stupid immigrant from America. Like I didn't know anything. And I was like, oh, well, Cambridge is a bit closer to Stoke Newington. <laughs> I'll apply there. Yeah. So I told my tutors, <laughs> at the, at, I told my tutors at Hackney College of Further Education, um, I'm going to apply to Cambridge. And they just looked at me like I'd come from the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like, say, the, the, the trail of people who went from Hackney College of Higher Education to Cambridge, it must have been, there must have been a right flood of people. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a sort of very narrow path tread by possibly <laughs> only one person who was me. <laughs> 
and then they close the building. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it sort of got defunded after I left and uh, I think it's probably flats now. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I applied and strangely, I applied to the only mature students college for women in Cambridge. I figured how many people would apply for medicine there? It seems like the odds are pretty good. (laughs) So I applied there and they were like, oh, who's this weird 30-year-old who's applying from Hackney, who's like at a grant-maintained, you know, sort of state school and doesn't, won't this look wonderful for our diversity figures? So they gave me an interview and I don't think they expected me to pass. And and then I did. So they were like, oh, well, have the place then. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I, did apply, so I applied to some other places as well. And amazingly, I got offers. I think it was just diversity candidate, tick, 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 tick. You know, you're a single, older, mature student in a London state school, you know. So it looked really good on their figures. It looked like they were, you know, that they were making an effort to widen access. So, wow. um, yeah, so I got in. The, it was a send a rock starter college certificate. Did you <laughs> No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> but you know what they call the stupidest person that graduates from Cambridge? They call them doctor. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Boris, Boris Johnson graduated from Cambridge. So. <laughs> well, he didn't do a medical degree, to be no, fair. He didn't. So were you, were you always going to be a, a, a national health doctor? You wouldn't, you'd never had to oh, yeah. entertain being an American doctor or... No, I sort of flirted with taking the uh, the overseas exams in America. They're called the ECFMGs. I flirted with that. But by the time it got to the stage where I was qualifying, I was pretty embedded in the NHS. And also, like, the the American system, is, it's messed up. You know, like, yeah. I, I once was over there and my father was in the emergency room and they were just doing chest compressions on some guy and asking his wife what the insurance was while they were doing the chest compressions. And I just thought, I can't work in a system like this. This is mad. You know, it's yeah. just, it's very disparate. Like there's no joined up care. It's very money minded. If you don't have insurance, like forget it. You're, you know, you're done for. And there are people who literally die of preventable diseases because they can't afford their insulin or they can't afford an EpiPen. And like, I couldn't work in a system like that. It just seems really unfair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, so, what always strikes me, because I, I work for an American company and most of the, well, a lot of the people I work with are American. They yeah. don't, they, it's not, why don't they all see that? Because they don't. No, they and don't. They, and, and like my own uncle is like the head of, well, he was the medical director of one of the biggest insurance companies in the United States. And they had hospitals all over the country. And they were one of those companies who came over under, um, not Cameron, it must have been, who was the Tory prime minister before Blair? Was Before someone, Blair, uh, yeah, major. Was major, yeah. So he came over during major to like kind of scope out the NHS and see which bits of it they'd be interesting in purchasing. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he, he'd said to me, you know, I've come back from this trip to England and I've decided that we're not interested in getting involved in the NHS because you guys are just doing things. We can't afford to do things as cheap as you do them. Yeah. And I've now realized from working in the NHS for the last 27 years that the reason why the NHS is cheaper is because people do a lot of stuff for free. Yeah. Yeah. Just for goodwill. Like we all stay past when we're supposed to, we all just muck in because we kind of believe in it. And, um, so yeah, that's okay. So serious bit over. (laughs) No, I mean, that's amazing journey that, you know, without, without, again, without getting too wonky about it, the the, the kind of journey to go from, college and then to Cambridge and then to a doctor. So how long have you been a doctor now then? 
Uh, I qualified in 1997. So, wow. <laughs> so it only took seven years from being fired in Australia to being on the So you didn't have phone, did you? No. <laughs> no, I just cracked on, really. Wow. Uh, I thought there was no point hanging around, really. And the other thing was I never touched a keyboard or played anything, any musical instrument the whole time that I was studying. Because I just thought, you know, I thought like I can't possibly divide my you know, my attention, I've got to focus on this. And it was really, really strange to not play anything for years and years and years. And like, I was poor. Yeah. <laughs> I was really so, poor. So, the, the, so the, um, the redundancy package wasn't that great when you left the fall then, no? Yeah, no, I had to sell my keyboards. <laughs> I sold them to pay the rent, the keyboards that I made off with from Australia. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't get any royalties or anything because there was that all of that, you know, well, Steve will know all about that. But um yeah, I was just kind of plugging away on my little student grant and my loans and everything. Thank God there was no like tuition charges in those yeah, days, or I yeah. wouldn't have been able I mean, to do it. You wouldn't have been able to do it now, would you? I don't no, think. no, absolutely not. We were thinking about. I was talking to another friend who got out of the music business, and she's now a psychotherapist. And she was saying, you know, we had so much help in those days, and then all of a sudden it just went away. So, like, I look at my four kids, and like they've all incurred vast debts from going to university mm-hmm. and stuff. And yeah. I just think it's such a shame that people in my position where I was in those days, that that choice would have been completely closed off to me. And, because it's, um, it's, yeah. it's a no brainer, isn't it? Because there's, yeah. there's, you're obviously cutting off an opportunity from people who could be massively talented. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're shooting yourself in the foot, aren't you? I mean, there's yeah. a whole bank of people who could be geniuses who never get the chance to, to show it just because of, an accident of birth, you know, without, without getting too well, uh, serious about this thing. Yeah, no, without without being too serious, we have like this this phrase where we talk about if you can't see yourself, you can't be it, you know. So I didn't see anybody like me. I didn't know any doctors. I mean, amongst my circle, everyone was like a musician or a painter or an artist or whatever. And there was no doctors. So I didn't know what you had to do to be a doctor. You know, like I just didn't have any experience of it. I mean, there was doctors in my family, but they weren't like, I didn't know their day-to-day life as a doctor. So I wasn't really sure what you had to do or how you had to be. So I turned up at Cambridge with this whole like suitcase of clothes I'd bought in secondhand shop thinking, oh, when you go to Cambridge, you got to have a barber jacket and tartan trousers and stuff. (laughs) It's like wearing all these clothes that kind of belong to another person that I thought I had to be. And And I just wound up, you know, I just wound up having to be myself. It was just too exhausting trying to put on the outfits. But do you not have to do that at Cambridge, though, to a certain extent? No. No, luckily I I went to my college, which was Lucy Cavendish, was a bit of a sort of, it was a bunt full of wild cards and mavericks. (laughs) So we were were all people that didn't fit in anywhere else, really. (laughs) They used to joke around and say, oh, Lucy Cavendish, that's the secretarial one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's, that's quite interesting, that, because you, you were in the fall, which is all people who couldn't yeah. be in any other band. Yeah. And then you went to the college where people couldn't go to any other class. Exactly. So I would never, if I'd have applied to like, I don't know, Trinity or St. John's, never have got in. Um, I just don't think they would have had the imagination. But luckily, whoever interviewed me, for whatever reason, she seemed to see some potential. And she was like, yeah, I think, I think you could really shake things up. And I'm like, well, that's nice, but Maybe not so nice for me. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of of pressure there, didn't it? Just a bit. So I'm like the only person who turned up for sort of lectures wearing leather trousers, (laughs) motorbike jackets and things. Yeah, you you felt the pressure to do that. I can't can't turn up in normal clothes today. They're not expecting me to turn up in green. I I just didn't have any other clothes. (laughs) So sort of, you know, trying to ride my push bike to lectures and things. It was just ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, 
Yeah. Just to wrap up, we're getting to it. What do you? What was you say was the proudest time? So, and that's a ridiculous question. But I yeah. mean, you're still um, quite proud of being in the fall. I mean, because you've done oh, a yeah. lot more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think that last album, that extricate album, I'm so proud of that. I'm that's so proud of what album, we did yeah. on that. It just, you know, the sound is just magnificent. In fact, I was just turning my 20 year old daughter onto Adrian Sherwood. She'd never heard of him before. And I was like, you need to discover this, you know? Yeah. Um, and I still, to this day, I think some of the stuff, like just the experience of recording that and everybody's kind of camaraderie and being together. And then just the fun and the hilarity of like working on Haley Chiani or, you know, just like those early days in Amsterdam when we were putting the ballet together and we'd have like Lee Bowery and Les Childs just being completely off the hook mad. And um, it was just fun. It was just really fun. And it was just like this kind of wonderful extended sort of, playtime <laughs> so yeah. this just felt really lucky to be part of it do you, do you find do you, has it happened to you where you find more and more people know about the fall now in the last well, it's, it's really fascinating because I keep thinking oh god it's like 35 years ago who cares and um, it's amazing how many people still remember it and how and I think it's just really? been given a new life by like YouTube and stuff like that and you know, people, and then, you know, every once in a while, the, a fall song gets picked up for an advert or something and mm-hmm. people go back and rediscover it. But I think, you know, there's just been that big Michael Clark um, retrospective at the Barbican and I went with Bricks and the did, two of us were just, huh? yeah, we both went together and we were just like, we were in floods of tears. Like we were just, you know, remembering it all. It was, it was very emotional. Like it was just, oh they, can't, they rebuilt the set, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to go, but of course. COVID put a stop to it, I think. Yeah, it's life got in the way. Yeah, COVID's yeah. been mental. <laughs> I bet it's bad for you, yeah. yeah. For you. <laughs> it really has been. <laughs> is, it, is it getting better now or is it you're still dealing with the fallout? I think we're just dealing with like the we just pushed everything down the road, didn't we? We like mm. kind of, this is the thing in medicine. You just deal with the most important thing. Like what's going to kill you today? <laughs> As opposed <laughs> to what's going to kill you next week. Like yeah. let's just deal with the thing that's going to kill you today. And then, you know, you kick all the other problems down the road a bit. So now we're coming up with all the stuff that kind of got ignored during COVID. So there's a lot of like diseases that kind of got out of control during COVID and a lot of like late diagnosis of stuff. And so we're just seeing people who are sicker. And yeah. they're just, they're not doing as well. And, and also, you know, we've had what, how many years of underfunding in the NHS and oh, not to mention the building falling down. And, oh yes. You, know. <laughs> you were saying that before we started recording. So Steve was, I think it was being slightly facetious, but you have to wait yeah. people before you set them up the stairs because the, the floor. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bible. We do. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, absolute Bible. There was, um, I think, seven hospitals that were built to this like Best Buy design and they were only built for 25 years. And most of them have been operating for about 40 years with this rack material, which is this reinforced aerated concrete. And um, it's getting to the end of its life. In fact, it's past the end of its life. So quite a lot. Yeah. So quite a lot of buildings, particularly in East Anglia, where I live, a lot of them are sort of held up with pit props. (laughs) It's a bit disturbing. I can imagine it is. I can imagine it is. You know, if you bring in someone in, you know, well, you, know, you just you just need to relax. You can be calm, and oh, by the way, don't worry about the ceiling <laughs> falling. Don't falling. <laughs> yeah, we've had all sorts. We've had floods. We've had pipes exploding because the the floor is shifted. We, you know, <sighs> we have these updates every week, and you know, the sort of chief executive 
paints on a big smile and goes, hey, everybody, if you see anything, say something. You know, if you see hot water running down the wall, (laughs) (laughs) sewage coming up through the floor, say something. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sorry, I mean, you know, because it wasn't, it wouldn't be stressful enough being a doctor in a hospital. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, you could no, do of course not. <laughs> you just pile it on. Just one yeah. more thing, it's fine. Well, I worked in intensive care for a long time, so I'm used to stress. <laughs> <laughs> and and you play keyboard in the fall, so you definitely. Oh yeah, used to well, that was excellent preparation for working <laughs> medicine. <laughs> People right. are like, how how can you stay up all night? I'm like, I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different story. Right? Okay. That so that, true, that's right? the end of our hour. What a fantastic. That was brilliant, that. Um, oh, what, I'm ha- yeah. What we're going to say, we, what we're planning on doing is getting, we're going to have a greatest hits next series. We're going to get everybody back on. So I'm, I'm going to hold you to coming back on then if that's all right. <laughs> that would be lovely. It was really great to talk to you both. And I yeah, hope no, I you get too. To that's fantastic. You. Thank you. And I hope I get to see you at the uh, Louder Than Words because I'll be yes. at Manchester. Oh, great. Oh, okay. Are you coming yeah. up for that? Yeah, I am. I'm going to go see my daughter because she's at uni. Great. Yeah. Oh, she is in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, she is. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, All right, thanks, Marcia. That was brilliant. All right. Okay. Take care, really guys. Really good. Thanks All a right. lot. Okay. Bye. 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 Okay. Bye. Thanks for joining us again this week for episode three of Series Three of Old Brother. The next episode will be out in two weeks, so don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Old Brother Show, where you can find links to our Spotify playlist. Or why not subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS so you'll be all set for the rest of the series. You can give us a rating on iTunes if you like, subscribe on YouTube or just tell your friends if you fancy it too. For further reading, our books about the fall, The Big Midweek and Have a Bleeding Guest are available from Root Publishers and all good bookstores and even I believe on that Amazon thing. Hope to speak to you all again soon and if you're driving, take your car. Ta-da!